Well, let's find our way to Matthew 26 today. Matthew 26, please, in your book rack Bible, you'll find that on page 1543. If you brought an outline in from outside, or maybe you have it on your smartphone right now with the Three Crosses app, find your way there. Let's get ready to learn some things in the Word of God. You know, we've been in the study of Matthew now for a couple of years, and Matthew's whole intent is to prove that Jesus is the King, that Jesus is the King, and that He's worthy of our worship. And this last week, we started with what we know in the Gospel of Matthew as the Passion Narratives. Jesus giving us the reality of His soon coming death in Matthew 26, followed by Judas's betrayal, the Last Supper, Gethsemane, His arrest, His mock trial, Pilate, the cross, death, burial, and the resurrection. We're going to have several weeks, nine weeks in this amazing section of Scripture called the Passion Narratives which is really what Matthew has wanted to bring us to all the way from the start. This is the main event. This is everything to Matthew, and it ought to be everything to us too. But as these events are about to go into motion, here in Matthew 26, we find an interesting, sort of a curious pause, a pause, a calm before the storm. Jesus and His disciples are in a little village known as Bethany, And for Jesus, I like to see Bethany as his own Camp David, a place of rest before or after significant ministry outpouring. It was here in this little village, the village of Bethany, where a woman comes to the home of Simon, known as Simon the leper. And there as he, Simon, is hosting a dinner in honor of Jesus, she breaks a jar of expensive perfume and pours it over his feet and head using her hair to anoint him. This is an act of unbelievable de- devotion. It's, it's so intimate. It's, it's beautiful. It's something today that I believe is going to help shape our own understanding of our relationship with Jesus and what it ought to be. So let's read the text and then see what it has for us today. Follow along, beginning in verse 6. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. Then she poured this perfume when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. All right. This is an amazing text and like I said, this is all about Uh, the most beautiful, intimate, sacrificial act that we see really in the Gospels, this woman that comes to Jesus. And the, the big idea of this message is that extravagance toward Jesus always results from our devotion to Him. Extravagance toward Jesus is a result of our devotion to Him. And so we know right off the bat that there was a woman that was so incredibly devoted to Jesus. 
As we look at this text and we see this extravagant act of love being poured out upon Jesus, we observe some things. And I'm going to share with you specifically three observations that I make in this text that will help us understand what this means for us today. And I would like to place these three observations in what I'm calling cliche language, just so that we can understand a little bit of the the tone of what's taking place in each of these movements. In verses 6 and 7, we observe first this woman who, I'm saying, broke the bank with one extravagant act of love. I mean, this woman breaks the bank. She, when we say you broke the bank about something, you gave it your all. You, you emptied your resources. You did everything you could to demonstrate just how much you love this person or how devoted you are to this person. It's a picture of love and complete devotion. And here's this, this woman in our text. We know from the other gospel writers exactly who she is. John reveals to us that this is Mary. John chapter 12 tells us this is Mary, along with her sister Martha and her brother Lazarus, who are all there in this dinner of honor, this night of honor given to Jesus by His very close friends in this Passion Week. And as we witness this woman pour out this act of devotion, this spontaneous act of of extravagant love, we, we notice a couple of things, and I would like to highlight them. First, we notice that this is an act of faith on her part. Why is it an act of faith? Well, in the Old Testament, kings in Israel were always anointed as a sign of their true leadership or their true kingship. And Mary is anointing Jesus in this moment, preceding His passion as a statement of her faith in Him as her true king. I mean, just like we just celebrated this amazing song that says, that's my king, that's what Mary's doing here when she anoints Jesus. She's saying, Jesus, you are my king. Jesus, you are who you say you are. Jesus, I believe that you are the Messiah. It's amazing what we do in devotion for Jesus when we really see Him for who He is. And that's what this woman's doing. She's showing us all an act of faith. Jesus, I believe who you are. I believe you, you are who you say you are. Now, let me just stop right here. Just ask yourself, ask yourself the question. Have you said that to Jesus? Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. Some of us perhaps here haven't done that. We're kind of riding the shirt tails of other people who believe He is who He says He is, but we haven't come to that place where we say, Jesus, You are who You say You are. That can happen today. Secondly, it's an act of, not only an act of faith, it's an act of sacrifice. Oh my goodness, is it? Mary takes this precious vial of perfume that is worth more than a year's wages, the other gospel writers tell us, and she pours it out. I mean, I don't know, had she been saving her entire lifetime this special vial of beautiful perfume, pure nard, as the other gospel writers show us, and this very costly vial that she brought into the presence of Jesus, and there she breaks the vial and and dumps it out, pours it out on Him? Think about just for a minute, if if this represents an entire year's wage, can you see yourself taking an entire year's wage in one extravagant act of worship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. How much do you make a year? 50,000, 60,000, 80,000, 100,000. Some of us make more, less than that, whatever. Think about one whole year's salary and just in one act, just spontaneous 
extravagance to where you say, Jesus, I want to give this to you. I wonder sometimes how much we really love Jesus when we look at how little we sacrifice for Him. I mean, let's face it, sometimes we're better at giving leftovers to Jesus. I mean, let's see how we're doing at the end of the month, and if at the end of the month we're okay, well, then we'll give a little bit of our money to the Lord. Or let's see how we do with time this week. It's going to be a busy week. And if we get just a little time at the end of the week, maybe we can do something for the ministry. Or I would like to do that ministry activity, but I don't know if I've got time. I'm going to have to budget my time. And if I get time, if I get a little time, maybe I'll give it to the Lord. We're good at re-gifting things that God gives to us. We're good at, at giving them the leftovers of our life. Recently, a dear friend of mine sent a video clip of of, a, uh, of, of Francis Chan, who you maybe know of Francis Chan. He does quite a bit of public speaking. He's a, he's a former senior pastor at a church in Los Angeles, but I think about five years ago, he came to the Bay Area. He actually has a ministry now in San Francisco. He works with the marginalized. He works down in the Tenderloin. Uh, they have an amazing kind of backdoor, side-door ministry gospel work, and I don't know where he was speaking, where this clip is shown, but it, it illustrates for us so often how we give what isn't the best to the Lord. And I thought it would be a, a fun way for us. It's humorous, but it also very poignant in its meaning to just watch this two-minute clip of Francis Chan. Let's watch. Francis, you know, I, I, um, I, brought, uh, I brought some chicken with me. Okay, and but this is what we do. Okay, whether it's our time or our finances, let's say this is our finances. We go, oh Lord, thank you, thank you. And what do we do? We go, well, I got to pay my mortgage. And we think, oh, I got my car payment. I got to pay for that. I start thinking, got to eat. <laughs> got to have life insurance. I got to have retirement, cable TV, <laughs> go to the movies, eat out, go on and on and on with everything you want. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> but you keep taking bites, whatever you want first. And then once you're all done, you're going, here, Lord. That's it. That's and so... Now that's crazy, but the crazier part is many people actually believe that God's in heaven going, oh cool, good, good, there's still some meat on that. That's what the priests in Malachi's day thought. Let's just spend on ourselves. Let's do what we want. And if I had a little bit left over in my pocket, I'll give it to God. We do that with our time. Invest all this time into our work, our families. Not bad things. It's just our entertainment, this, that. And then it's like, oh, I got two minutes right before I fall asleep. I'll pray. And we think God's in heaven going, oh, what an angel. You know, since, since I saw that clip, I, I can't get that image out of my mind, especially when I eat chicken, you know. <laughs> But, I mean, let's be honest, we play it so safe with what we give to God, don't we? I mean, we calculate how much can we afford. I'm not talking about even money. I'm just talking about 
we gauge our, the affordability factor in everything that we do. And at some point, we have to ask ourselves just how really devoted are we to Jesus? Are we really just satisfied with giving Him leftover stuff, leftover money, leftover time, leftover gifts, leftover whatever? Or are we going to get down to the, the brass tacks of really being extravagant in our gifts? I'm reminded of the, the guy that called his girlfriend on the phone, and he says, darling, I love you so much. I, I would climb the highest mountain for you. I would swim the deepest river for you. I would fight a jungle full of lions for you. I love you so much. And if it doesn't rain tonight, I'm going to come over and see you. <laughs> That's a cheap commitment. I mean, it's words, but it doesn't really factor into the, the way we live our lives. When we observe Mary, we observe her breaking the bank on her devotion to God. And for any of you that might be new to Three Crosses, again, when I reference that cliche, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about the fact that we pour out our lives, that we, we give what's precious to us. And the reason we give what's precious to us is because we love Jesus. This is an act of, of faith. You are my king. This is an act of sacrifice. I'm giving it all. And this is also an act of worship. Write that down. This is an act of worship. If there was a posture that Mary knew well, it's the posture of worship. Mary was always sitting at Jesus' feet. You remember in the other gospel writers where Mary is at Jesus' feet and Martha's busy making a meal for Jesus and cleaning up around the house and Martha comes to Jesus and says, doesn't it bother you that my sister Mary isn't helping me? And Jesus says to Martha at that time, he says, Mary's chosen the better part. It will not be taken from her. It's as if Jesus says, look it, I appreciate all you're doing for me in cooking the meal and that's great. Jesus didn't put Martha down, but he says, you know what I really love? I love it when my children sit at my feet. I love it when they worship me with all their heart. You see, what Mary was doing in this moment and what she seemed to always be doing when we see her in the Scripture is that she was listening. Mary was a listener. She was attentive to the Master's voice. She listened for what Jesus had to say. And here, this is what Jesus reminds us of when He sees Mary coming and, he, and he comes before, she comes before Him and she she expresses such intimacy with Jesus. She breaks this vial and she pours it out. The Bible says in the other gospel writers, on his head and down to his feet and uses her hair to anoint. And he's been telling his disciples, I can only think of that, how poignant this moment is. He's been telling his disciples for weeks that he's going to die. He's going to die. Four times up to this point, he's told his disciples, I'm going to die. And they seem clueless. Even here, they're clueless. And here's this woman who's recognizing where Jesus is going, and because she's a listener, she wants, to, she wants to worship the Lord this way. She wants to show this extravagant act of worship. By the way, if you're taking notes, I've written this down in my notes. Mary was a listener, and that's why she was a worshiper. You cannot have true worship without true listening. I've heard what you have said, Jesus, and I believe what you have said. Her act of worship is essentially her way of saying to Jesus, I'm going to anoint you now with this expensive perfume that I've been holding on to use for your burial clothes. I mean, she's been waiting since back earlier in the gospel where Jesus 
tells the disciples that he's going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to give his life. I think Mary right there knew, I'm going to use that expensive perfume on his body. I'm going to use it to anoint his burial clothes. Mary was such a worshiper. And she wanted to do this beforehand. And she wanted Jesus to know. She could not resist the opportunity to show him now what he means to her. You know, I've officiated in many funerals and Oftentimes in a funeral, there's times where people get up and eulogize the loved one that is gone, and it's a beautiful time. It's amazing. And sometimes I wonder when I hear these beautiful tributes, I, how much more important it would have been to share that tribute before the person died. And hopefully those tributes have been shared before the person dies, and then we get sort of the aftermath of, of expressing those things in their absence but I remember at a point in my life where, you know, you're, you're growing up. I was, I was in my early 30s probably. Uh, and I remember how much my parents did for me. And they, you know, they raised me in a Christian family. They loved me unconditionally. All the stupid things I did, they forgave me. They loved me. They kept, you know, providing for me. Um, and all these wonderful things. Uh, they, 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 they modeled what Christianity looked like with skin on, if you know what I'm saying. They, they, and they weren't perfect. My parents weren't perfect, but they, they really modeled these things. And I remember as an early 30 and even in my 40s, going at times to my parents to visit and just spontaneously sort of saying, hey, mom and dad, you know, before I leave, I just want you to know how much, how much I love you, how much I care for you, what you've done for me, what you mean to me. And, you know, and it would usually end, into sort of the, end up in this sort of... Uh, recital of the things that I knew they loved me and how they showed their love to me and me just showing thanks and gratefulness for them. And it always ended in tears and hugs and Larry, we know that. And it was just a beautiful time. And I remember when they passed in their respective time, my mom first and then a few years later, my dad, they've both been gone now for about 10 years. And I'm so grateful that I had those words with them before and that's why, to be honest, and I'm taking a little side note here, but, you know, I think it's really important that we say we love each other a lot. The people that are in your life, tell them that you love them. You don't know when the last time is going to be. And we should express ourselves that way. If, if I tell you I love you, it's because I do. I, it's a beautiful thing to say I love you. But, but here, and we say I love you to Jesus a lot, but... This text shows us that sometimes our love prompts us to do more than just words. We sang that song today. Thank you, Pastor Brian, for reminding us that we can't just sing lyrics. Oh, Jesus, we love you. How we adore you. Sometimes those can just be lyrics. And here we see this visible picture of this woman who literally breaks the bank for Jesus, this expensive vial of perfume. So ask yourself the question, how is it for you? Whether whatever we have that is precious to us, when we give it to Jesus, it's an act of worship. We can be extravagant in our time, our, our, our resources, our talents. I remember a few years ago, just a couple quick stories, I've got to be fast here. Um, we were, we were going to sponsor part of the Billy Graham crusade here at our church uh, when he came. I don't even know how many, 20 years ago, came to the Oakland Coliseum. I was a part of a group of pastors in Oakland that were planning this event and and so here's 40 pastors sitting around a table. We're saying, okay, we know this is going to cost money, uh, but let's be a part of it. We're going to need a lot more than 40 churches to be a part of this. So we were, 
reaching out, and it's a long story, but we, we raised the money. But I'll never forget, I came back to our church after that meeting, and I said, look, we would love to sponsor this evangelism opportunity to share the gospel with our friends and neighbors, and we need resources to do it. We don't have it in our budget, we just need resources. And the next week, someone came, knocked at my door, and came in and said, Larry, I heard your announcement, and, and when I heard it, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, I needed to, and he's reaching into his pocket, and he goes, I've been saving for the last few years to buy a sports car. He goes, I've wanted this car all my life, and now I've got a job, I can do it, I've been saving for the last few years, and he goes, I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying to me when you made that announcement, give this to Jesus so that more people would know about the gospel. And so he pulls out this check, and he gives it to me, and I don't want to give you the amount, but it was tens of thousands of dollars. And I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. Now, I, that was 20 years ago, and you'd think, well, gee, can you think of any illustration that's not 20 years ago? Yes, the reality is that for the last 20 years, I have been blown away by person after person who either out of their finances or out of their time or out of the treasury of their gift mix or their talents that they pour out, they give away, they share. It's like they just want to pour it out for Jesus. And it's amazing. I, not Just this last summer, a young gal, barely out of college, she's like uh, college age, and she uh, was a part of our youth ministry. She makes an appointment with me. I'm thinking, gee, you know, you you would talk to one of our youth pastors. No, I need to talk to you. So she comes in, sits down. She says, you know, I'm scraping to get by. I've got, you know, I, I know her story a little bit from her family. And she says, but you know, we had a death in the family. They left a, an inheritance. I got part of that inheritance and I wanted to give. And she pulls out this check. This is a college age girl. She pulls out a check that's a crazy number. And she hands it to me and she goes, I want this to go into our, into our high school and junior high camp fund so that a ton of kids can go to camp this summer. And I'm going, who are you? This is amazing. This is a, this is a person who could have said, oh, look what I've got. I can go, I can go buy a brand new car or I can take something of this and make. And she said, I want to give this to Jesus. That blew my mind. That was just last June. People like that just, it, it astounds me. And it doesn't have to be a lot of money either. I remember once in our college ministry, a gal came up and she, she heard a testimony of somebody that was going on the mission field. And she said, you know, I've been saving some money to go to a spring break activity. It's not a whole lot, but it's what I've been saving and I want to give it to Lisa so she can go on the mission field for that week when I was going to go to Fort Lauderdale. I thought, that's That's awesome. That's a person who's listening to the Spirit of God. This spontaneous act of generosity that says, Jesus, I love you. I love you. So we observe this woman breaking the bank in an extravagant act of love. But here's something else we see in verses 8 and 9. The tone suddenly changes. In verses 8 and 9, we observe the disciples bent out of shape because they disapprove of her action. So we've got someone breaking the bank, and then we've got people that are bent out of shape. No sooner had perfume flowed that the criticisms flowed too. Unquestionably, this is an odd contrast. Her act of extravagance coupled with the disciples' miserly criticisms. How can this be? Let's remember the setting. This is a night of honor for Jesus. Doesn't it make sense that a night of honor would deserve acts of honor and acts of devotion? Can one be given too much honor if he or she is going to be honored? 
I mean, would anyone, if you went to a, a party where there's someone that's going to be honored and someone does some lavish act of devotion that says, we want to honor you this way, would there be anybody say, hey, that's a little too much honor? That'd be crazy. If you're going to honor somebody, honor them the best way you can. Now, the reason why the disciples are a little bit miffed at this, I'm going to offer two reasons why. Number one, extravagance often looks wasteful. Extravagance often looks wasteful. To people who like to hold on to what they value, acts of extravagance tend to look wasteful. They just look wasteful. They look like they're useless. They, they appear senseless. I know a young woman who believes she's called to the mission field. She's in college right now. She comes from a family without means, so she's had to take student loans. She works three jobs so that she doesn't carry a lot of debt into her post-college experience, but she feels so called of God to do this. And her specific calling that she would like to do, she would like to uh, be a part of missionary aviation. And so it's a really, it's a thin niche, but she feels called by God to do it. She's passionate about it. She's doing everything she can to get there. She's volunteering at, at, uh, in air aviation uh, places, airstrips and, and little airports and things just so she can be around aircraft. And she's working it hard. And, and you know, we've done a little bit to help her a- along the way. But I know it, through her letters and through the things that she's shared that there are people in her life that think that she's absolutely crazy. You're crazy. What are you doing? You're wasting your life. You know, people watch us sometimes and they see the effort and the time and the work that goes into the things that we do, and they think we're crazy. I heard someone recently say, you know, I know that you've got that group of the church, they go out under freeway overpasses a couple times a month, they bring food. Those people are crazy. People look at what we do sometimes and they think we're crazy. The time, the effort, the energy, the money, whatever it is that we put in. They think we're wasting our life. I've talked to, I worked in high school ministry and college ministry, and I don't know how many times kids came to me and said, my parents think I'm crazy because I'm serving God. They want me to get straight A's in school. They want me to go to the best college so I can do the best, blah, 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 blah. And I want to serve God. Yeah, I'm going to get a job, but I want to serve God. I give time, and there's this tension that's going on. And there are some times where people tell us, you're crazy for what you do. You're doing too much. And by the way, for people that, that look at extravagance as wasteful, here's what's at the bottom line. Usually it goes something like this. Look, you're doing too much for Jesus because you're doing more than I'm doing for Jesus. See, that's where the rub comes. And it gets a little bit, a little bit tense. But nothing given to Jesus, time, treasure, talents, is a waste no matter how much it is. If given to Jesus with the right motive, it pleases Him. It's the right thing to do. In fact, verse 10, He loves it. The opposite is actually the truer reality. If you live for yourself and keep for yourself what is most precious to you, that's a waste. Did you hear that? You can waste your entire life going after what the world says is great things. Some of us are Christ followers, and we've let the world bend us toward things that the world tells us what we need to have. We're trying to make the most money to live in the best house, to drive the most fancy car, to dress the nicest way, 
and we're building all that stuff in our life. And we say we're Christ followers, and I'm not saying we aren't, but we're trying to do all the stuff that the world tells us that we ought to do. And in the meanwhile, we're not serving the kingdom, we're not serving Christ, we're not helping others, we're not outside of ourselves. And I'm not trying to throw a bunch of guilt because I see this in my life too. I'm a safe guy out sometimes. And Jesus here is commending this amazing woman. It's a waste when you don't give what's precious to Jesus to Jesus. That's a waste. A A second thing that's going on here is that criticism often disguises something more insidious. Um, And what's more insidious here is that there's a voice going behind the scene here. And John's gospel gives a little more detail. Uh, Judas, one of the disciples, John tells us, loved to put his hand in the money box. You know what that tells us about Judas? He was a deceiver. And isn't that amazing, the love of Jesus, that he would have a deceiver in his own ranks? I think that that's amazing. And Jesus knew it. And he still loved Judas. And he still called Judas to repent. And even on the night that Jesus was betrayed, which we'll see in a little while, Jesus still loved Judas. That's the love of God. And Judas loved to take the money. So Judas in the corner sees what's going on, Mary breaking this vial. And Judas, you can just see him rub one of the shoulders of the disciples. You see that? Wait, whoa, whoa, we could have used that. We could have used that for the poor. Listen, it's easy to shake off what's truly spiritual under the pretense of something that looks spiritual. Judas wanted to rob Mary of her joy under pretense that there could have been something else used. He says, in essence, we should have used what she gave to Jesus for something even better. Question, who's better or more worthy than Jesus? Do you follow? Some of us have our ears a little too tuned to the critic's voice. What will our boss think? What will our girlfriend think? What will our boyfriend think? What will our family think? What will our neighbors think? Who cares what they think? If you're going to do it for Jesus and you feel that this is what God wants you to do, then do it because He loves it. Now, I understand, you know, if you're married and you decide you're going to break the bank and do some extravagant gift for Jesus and His work, you better talk that over with your spouse. I I get that. Well, Jesus told me to do it. Well, if Jesus told you to do it, He'll tell your spouse to do it too with you. Sometimes there's friction there. I uh, wish we had a little more time to unpack that, but we don't. <laughs> the point I'm trying to make to you is that Judas, Judas was not interested in the poor, and the disciples were really not interested in the poor. They were just a little myth that someone was giving a little more honor to Jesus than they were giving to Him in that moment. Which brings me to the last little thing here that we want to see. Finally, we observe Jesus, here's the last little cliche moment, begging to differ on how the disciples interpreted what's really going on. Notice there's a rebuke. Why are you bothering this woman? Mm. Then there's an affirmation. She has done a beautiful thing to me. I can only imagine Mary just smiling, looking up at the face of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for knowing my heart. Thank you for knowing what I was doing. Jesus accepted it. He he welcomed this 
treasure of love. And he says, look at verse 12, when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. And I wonder if he didn't look at the disciples like, you guys still don't even get it, do you? I'm going to die for you. And she, knowing I'm going to die, anoints my body beforehand. A couple of teaching points that are really important at this point. Some people look at what Jesus is saying here as to assume that he means that the poor don't really matter. When he says, the poor will always be with you, but you will not always have me. Is Jesus pushing the poor aside? No. In fact, Jesus is quoting an Old Testament command. Deuteronomy 15.11 says, There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and needy in your land. It's a command. When Jesus said, The poor you will always have with you, Jesus was saying, Don't forget Deuteronomy 15.11. I love the poor, so don't ignore them. In fact, if you're putting this into a principle, write this down. There are opportunities every day to do good for others who need help. So do good whenever you can. That's what Jesus is saying. Every day we have opportunities. We can do kind acts of gestures of kindness. We can love people simply. We can take a moment with somebody. We can share our resources with somebody. We can reach out to somebody. But Jesus is also saying, look, I'm not always going to be here. And so here's, here's what I see Jesus teaching his disciples. There are opportunities that inspire us to be extravagant in our demonstration of love for Christ. There are opportunities. And when those opportunities come, we need to take them. Our assignment this week, here's the, the assignment, your homework, my homework, is this week... Every day, look for an opportunity to do good wherever you can and to keep your eyes and ears open for something that might demonstrate extravagance in that moment. I think of so many people in our ministry who, who have echoed these sentiments. I talked to someone who came out of our Cross Streets ministry a while back. Uh, got into the Salvation Army program, their life turned around, beautiful story. And I remember them telling us that their first expression, in fact, they came up and shared their story. This was a while back. But I'll never forget how they, in, in a personal context, said, you know, when, when these people started showing up at midnight under the overpass and actually touching me with love and then giving me food and then praying over me, they would leave in the dark and I would say, who are these people? And those people I'm sure didn't think that their act was anything of extravagance. But they were doing it for Jesus. When we do something, oh, I've got things, I just took, I remember another story, a lady in our college ministry, there was a young man who had a terrible accident while skiing and his family were not Christians, and his mother, single mother, lived in a little apartment down San Leandro, and our church just poured out resources and helped her and helped him. And I remember one day she was telling me after she had given her heart to Christ, she said, 
I just couldn't help but think about why all this love was being poured out on me. And those stories are just over and over and over and over again because of you. Because of you knowing a need. Because of you knowing some opportunity. I have a friend who's a recent believer in Christ that had the privilege of doing some discipling in his life. And he told me the story just a couple of weeks ago. He said, yeah, he, he heard in his life group, he goes to a different church, so it's a little small group. He heard in his life group that there was somebody in their group, somebody that was going through a really tough time and they, they just needed some finances. And this guy that I've been discipling, I know he's got the gift of giving. Because as soon as he heard that, he said, and he's got a family. It's not like he has a ton of money. But he said, the Lord put it on my heart. He's telling me the story. Not to get any kind of anything, but he just, it was a part of another discussion. But he said, I just felt led I should do this. And he, and he went and he anonymously gave this gift. And then the life group the next week told the story about how God had miraculously answered this prayer. Nobody knew that it was him. And that was such a beautiful thing to hear. That person never knew. That's an extravagant act of love. Do you notice when Jesus says, we're going to wrap it up here, this last little thing, verse 13, he says, and I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. That, I, you know, I study that a lot. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. I've shared the gospel a lot, and I haven't always told this story. Have I missed out on something here, Lord? I think what Jesus is saying is when we love Christ this way, when we love Jesus this way, our works bear testimony to the glorious and unstoppable force of the gospel. And it's just like this woman So that's our homework this week. We need to look for opportunities to do good wherever we can. And we need to watch for those moments that Jesus may show us where an act of extravagance will compel the gospel in somebody's life.